Right on. Glad to have you guys here with us. Glad you, glad you decided to come out to a new life today. I want to say a big hello to all of those that are worshiping with us today out in North Platte. Yes, man, out of North Platte. Great to have you guys with us, as well as all of you that are worshiping with us down in the venue. Uh, we've got some special things happening down in the venue today. We've got a, uh, a brand, uh, we've got a new worship team that's here from one of our universities, North Central. So they're down there worshiping with us. I want to say thanks to those guys that have come out. They've been out at our high school camp out in Lexington all week long, ministering to our high schoolers, which I heard that we had an incredible uh, camping experience out there. And if you're a high schooler in any of our venues and you were a part of that, man, I just praise God for you. And I just pray that God did something radical in your life and that he transformed you in massive ways that you would bring back into the culture of our church and just let it live out. Uh, they're also going to be out at our campground for our, um, our junior high camp that's coming up this next week. So if you're a junior higher and you're going to camp and you're, you attend any one of our locations, then we're praying for you. We're praying that God does something radical in your life. So yeah, we are one church in multiple locations. You're attending just one of four worship services that are happening at New Life uh, this summer. So congratulations, glad to have you guys here. If this is your first week with us, my name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors that's on staff here. We have a great staff of pastors, and uh, I'm just one of them. I just get a chance to do my role today, and I'm going to hopefully give it my best. You know what I'm saying? So we've got a lot of people that are serving, and if any of them can help you, then uh, please go to one of our ushers. They'll be more than happy to help you and assist you. Make your way to one of our welcome centers. And they'll be more than happy to assist you and to help you as well. Hey, well, today is the second week in our current teaching series that we've entitled Core Values. Now, don't forget what a core value is, right? A core value is an action or it's a belief that you live out. And if you live out that core value, then you're most likely accomplishing your mission or your goal. So every organization, including a church and including a person, has to have core values. These are things that you believe um, that you've given your life to, that you know, you, you're behaving according to them and your actions are modeling them. If you're doing those things, then you're accomplishing your mission. Our mission here at New Life is very simple. It's very simple. It can be summed up in just a few words. Strengthen your journey in Christ. That's our whole mission. I mean, that's what we're trying to do with everything. And these core values help us understand whether we're accomplishing that mission or not. <clears throat> So in getting into our message today, back in 1912, there was a vessel that was built that was supposed to dominate the seas. It was a vessel that was never supposed to be able to sink. It was a vessel that was going to hold thousands of people and, you know, take them on journeys around the world from one sea to another sea, and that people were going to ride on this ship and have, you know, parties and, you know, go on cruises, and it was just going to be fantastic. And the name of the ship is... The Titanic. Absolutely. The Titanic. And in 1912, that, that vessel set, set out from the UK heading towards the, the mega city of New York City. And in April of 1912, on the 14th of April, in the evening, the ship started to take on water somewhere off the coast of Newfoundland. Now, on that on that ship was about 3,140 people that were cruising at that particular time. 900 of them would have been the workers. 
And when that ship began to sink that night, and it sunk all night long until the morning of the 15th of April of 1912, 1,500 people lost their lives. One of the reasons why 1,500 people lost their lives is because they only had enough um, lifeboats for 1,178 people of the 3,140. They never had enough life, lifeboats to ever save the entire group of people that could ever be on that. But then they also made you know, horrific mistakes while the, uh, you know, the hysteria and the panic of that evening as dark was set upon them and people were tired because they'd been up all day you know, just having a blast on the ship called the Titanic. That, that night, many lifeboats, life rafts, set off from the main vessel with maybe five people in them. Many of them were only half full. Now, when you're at sea and there's a vessel that's going down, women and children are the first ones to get on. But many of these vessels set sail from the Titanic, only half full, and there'd be a lot of men that were on them. A lot of women and children were a part of the 1,500 that died. Now, if you were there that night and you happened to be one that got onto one of those lifeboats that was only half half full, and you're there drifting amongst this sinking vessel, and as it sinks farther and farther, and all of the lifeboats now are gone from the boats, and you've got people that have nowhere to go, they're jumping into the water, hoping that their life vest is going to save them. People are screaming from the water, help me, help me, I'm drowning, save me. What would you do if you were one of the saved ones that was in the lifeboat? Would you just grab your oars and your paddles and figure out how fast you could get away from the sinking Titanic? Or would you, with the rest of your boat that still had capacity to hold, you know, another 50 people, would you take your oars and make your way from one soul to another soul and save them? I would pray that you would be people like myself, that you would figure out how to fill your lifeboat to its fullest capacity and save every soul that you could save. That's because saved people should be finding people. During World War II, the Holocaust took place. The Germans, in 1939, they busted in to Krakow, Poland, and they took over. And they took all of the Jews, they moved them out of their homes, and they moved them into the Krakow ghettos. And from 1939 to about 1945, the Germans, they ruled And they brought hysteria and holocaust and destruction and then killing and the and the destruction of the entire race of the Jews was their goal. And in the middle of that, there was a businessman, a German man, who moved who moved from Germany and he moved out to Krakow to take advantage of this new situation. And he built a plant and he was going to make a product and he was going to sell it. And he thought to himself, if I could hire some of these Jews, I could probably hire them for a less wage and I could make more money. This is perfect. He was part of the Nazi party. He moves out there. He starts the thing and he gets all of these Jews working for him. And along the way, he discovers this Holocaust that's taking place against the Jews and his heart gets stirred. And this businessman that was out for how much money he could put in his pockets all of a sudden started to change. He started to find himself with this rage on the inside and this disdain for what was happening to this group of people. And he starts investing his money into saving lives instead of just making money. In fact, he does this this, that entire time 
all the way until he runs out of money in 1945, right before the war is over, and there's a liberation of the Jews. And his name is Oscar Schindler. Schindler had his heart transformed. His heart began to change towards this group of people to where he lost it all. Again, why? He was saved. He had it He had it good. He was safe. And instead of just keeping it to himself, he wanted to figure out how he could give it away so that he could save and find others. And in that movie, the movie made in 1993, at the end of it, there is this moment where you really get to see into the heart of Oscar Schindler, his true passion as a man that was saved, that was safe, his passion for finding others and saving them. Why don't you take this next few moments and watch this video with me. What you'd witnessed is the principle, saved people should find people. And at New Life, we're very much the same. That's why our second core value is saved people find people. That if you truly claim to be a person that's found a relationship with God, part of the evidence of that should be you finding people, you helping others along in the journey, you finding the joy of helping others discover what it means to have a relationship with God that radically transforms their life. And when we have a church that's like that, when we're living on that core value, one of the things as a pastor that I know is when I look out and I see the congregation finding people, bringing them along on the journey, that could be as simple as inviting them. It could be as simple as, you know, leading somebody uh, to Christ by praying with them. And it could also be as fun as discipling them along in the process. But when I see that, one of the things I know as a pastor is that we, are, we have a church that's strengthening people's journey with Christ. So that's part of our culture. That's part of who we are. That's part of why we exist and why we do what we do. And you do realize that we can inspire and encourage each other along in this journey of save people, finding people. Because when you, when you have a church where people are truly giving their life to Jesus... There's something about that that's inspiring. It causes you to want to do the very same thing. And it, it's, it's, it's contagious. It just takes off. That's what we want to talk about today. What does it really mean, saved people, find people? What does that really mean? Jesus said these words. He goes, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light, basically, to the world. Because you're so good? No, because Christ lives in you. If you're a person today that has allowed Christ to come and reign in your life, to be the Lord and the leader of your own heart, then Jesus said you're like salt. You know what salt does, right? A little bit of salt in a meal goes a long way. Have you ever put too much salt on something? For some of you, you couldn't put too much salt, right? And your arteries are like as hard as pavement. It's amazing. Anything could, you know, come against those things. So, yeah, some of you guys like salt. I'm not a big salt user. I've never been a guy that's taken table salt and put it on anything. Things tend to be a little too salty. But a little bit of salt can go a long ways. And Jesus is saying that if saved people are going to find people, there's going to have to be something about them that is contagious, that's attractive. And he wants you to be that. He wants you in your life, wherever you go, 
to take a little bit of the saltiness of Christ and to affect the home, affect the workplace, right? Affect a neighborhood. That's one of the things that God would be saying to us today. Another thing about saved people, finding people that helps to find it, define it is that you are light in darkness. Like if we turned out all the lights in any one of our locations right now and we, we covered up all of the windows and all I gave you was a lighter, right? And I said, I want you to make your way around this place. All you have is a lighter. And you went, you know what? I mean, that's good noises right there, by the way. Just want to just let you know, you know, men, men, you can still tell if a man, if a man still has a little bit of a boy inside of him from his noises, because when we're kids, we make a lot of noises, right guys? And we still make noises. Some are not so desirable. Other noises, other noises are acceptable. Like, so I gave you your lighter and it's burning and you can make your way around an extremely dark place. That's because a little bit of light goes a long ways in the midst of darkness. We live in a world that's full of darkness. And Jesus says, I want you to be the light. Light is attractive, right? Light makes a difference. And that's part of save people, finding people. But maybe let's define it in a slightly different way. What does it really mean? Saved people can find people because of a few things. So save people can find people because God loves people. And God loves those who are outside of relationship with him. You know, whether you want to refer to it as being lost versus saved, you know, found versus lost. When we're lost, when we're walking outside of a relationship with God, one of the things you need to know is that God loves people in that state. You hear common scriptures all the time. John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world. He loves the world. Not just a hemisphere, not just a country. He loves the world. You hear other verses like Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ, he died for us. That even when we weren't living life following him, he gave up his son, Jesus Christ, and he died on a cross for us. I think that, that just goes to say that when Jesus was in uh, Luke chapter 15, and he's talking to all of those that are with him, and he's talking about God's heart towards the lost, he he defines God's heart as a shepherd who counts all of his sheep and realizes that one has gone astray. And he leaves the 99 to go after the one. That, that defines God's love for humanity. Right? That, that, really, that really points to it in a big way. Just like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. God doesn't want anyone to perish. Yeah, Jeff, but, okay, I got it. But what about people that, you know, I would define, meaning you, I would define as being just wicked and evil. God can't love them. God probably wants them to die, right, and make it easier for the rest of us. I want, what I want you to do for a moment, and this might feel a little bit like judging others, but you're not going to share it with anyone. I just want you to get a picture in your mind of the most wicked, evil person that you can think of on this earth. And I want you to put a label. Um, I want you to define what you think wicked and evil is. So if you see a person, you see a face, 
of someone, I want you to define a word that, that shows you or proves to you that that person's wicked or evil. I just want you to think about it for a second. It's not the kind of thing I want you to think about all the time. In fact, this is the only time I want you to think this way. And then I never want you to think this way again. Okay? You got, you got your face? Isn't it unfortunate that you could come up with a face so quickly? Isn't it scary that you could come up with a title so fast? This world we live in, there's all kinds of crazy things that are happening. All kinds of things the Bible would even define as being wicked or evil. But one of the things you need to know today, that person, God loves them. He looks past that title of, of, that you put on them, and he loves them right where they're at. Ezekiel chapter 33. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the, the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can what? That's God's heart. Why? Why is it so powerful? Why is it so effective? Save people, finding people? Because you have God's heart behind you. God loves humanity. God looks beyond the titles that we put on people. God looks beyond lifestyles. And God loves people right where they are. But one of the things about God is that he loves them too much to leave them in that state. And that's why as you continue to define what it really means, save people, find people, save people can find others because Jesus has become the bridge between God and man. See, God didn't give up on humanity. He sent Christ to become a bridgeway. He became like a uniter between us and God. He beca- he, here, if this is God and this is humanity, Jesus became this mediator. That's what 1 Timothy tells us. It says, for there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. I, w- I want you to notice something today. Just right off the bat, there's one God and there's one mediator. One God, one mediator, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus has this role of taking us and God and pulling us together because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. He became a mediator. Or another word for that could be like he became a reconciler. He reconciles us to God. And that's what Jesus does. He takes this great gap, this great divide, and it becomes this bridgeway, this causeway between humanity and God and allows the two to come together in relationship. And that's amazing. So Jesus reconciles us to God, but one of the amazing things that he does is he gives us the ministry of reconciliation as well. Remember that salt and light piece? That's part of why you become the salt and you become the light is that you, your job and my job is to help others be found. It's to, if you're saved, it's to find people. It's to reconcile them to God. Now, when you do that, when you do that, it's very much the picture of like a father. Have you ever been to a wedding before? If you've been to a wedding, then you had that unique moment, right, where everyone had the rise to their feet, the back doors of the auditorium opened up, and the father comes walking down the aisle with the bride. What a special moment, right? I mean, when I did it, tears, tears came down my face, right? And I had to do it three times. 
You would think I would have had it all put together by the third time, right? It was just, it was just one of those moments. But what, I get, what you get to do is you walk them down, you stand in front of the pastor, and then you get to do something very unique, right? You get to be the mediator. You get to be a reconciler. You, you, get, to, you get to take your, your daughter's arm and the arm of your future son-in-law, and you get to connect the two of them. And then guess what you get to do? You got it. You get to write the check for all the rest of the bills. That's what you get to do. That's the way it goes down. You get to sit down. If they, they say, thank you very much. Just write the check, Dad. Write the check. No, but it's a special moment. You get to do that. And see, that's the ministry that God gave us, is to take the arm of a friend and connect them to the arm of Christ. That ministry of reconciliation. That's something we get to do. That just means literally all you have to be is an echo of God. Some people go, well, I'm not qualified to do that, Jeff. I mean, I don't even know how to do that. I, I don't know how to share my faith. Okay, good. You don't have to go to any share your faith conference or class. All you need to do is tell people what you know. Can you just tell people what you have experienced with God? Because if you can do that, you can help reconcile friends to Jesus. That's why save people, find people. It doesn't take a degree. It just takes you sharing what you know. And when you share what you know, it helps to inspire it helps to inspire people to come and know Jesus. And one of the things that, that you need to know is not only is God's heart behind you, but you're operating underneath the auspice and the name, the powerful name, the all-powerful name of Jesus. And it's only through the name of Jesus that people are transformed and changed. That's what Acts 4 tells us. It says these words, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's only found in the name of Jesus. Your job is to lead people to Jesus by the way you live your life, by when you come along and you encourage them, by when you purposely help people, when you invite them to follow with you. Your job is not to change people. That's God's job. You don't change people. I mean, let's be honest. You're just trying to keep your life put together. When we are out there and, our, and we think that the role of the church is like to go change people, then we got the wrong idea. The role of Christ-centered follower is just to find people and bring them and connect them to Jesus. And then sometimes step out of the way. Other times, stay close and help make sure that that connection is strong. And as that connection is strong, then encourage them to go out and help people find Jesus. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. That's what this church is all about. That's who we are, save people, finding people. So what do I need you to do in light of this core value? If we're gonna be this church, what do I really need you to do? I need you to do three simple things that Jesus modeled for us in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said these words. He goes, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What's the first thing that he did? Showed compassion. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The second thing he did, he didn't keep it to himself. He instantly started sharing it with others. And third, in verse 38, 
So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. And there's a third thing of prayer and being engaged in that capacity. So if we are really going to be a church of saved people that are finding people and that, that continues on and on and on and on, then we need to follow this example of Jesus. And the first one is to show compassion. And the compassion that it's talking about here in this passage is the greatest, the greatest and the most intense compassion that anyone could ever feel or imagine. I want you to think about a time when you were just filled with compassion. Like you could barely stop yourself from acting on that compassion. That's where Jesus was at. And that kind of compassion, it breaks your heart. And it just breaks it. It crushes your heart. It, it, sometimes it takes the, the air right out of your lungs. Sometimes you're, you can't hold back the tears. I can imagine Jesus in this situation being in that state. But that kind of compassion can, over, can overwhelm your emotions in a way that makes you like mad or ticked off as well. Like, I can't believe these people have no shepherd. I can't believe these people have no leadership. I can't believe these people have to walk around confused in this time period, at this moment. This is ridiculous. Who would let these people be like this? You could see that, that compassion would break his heart and cause this like righteous anger to come up on the inside. Why? Because I've sensed that. I've felt that before. But this kind of compassion also causes a person to be overwhelmed with a sense of rescue. Like, I have to do something. I've taken people on mission trips before, and we've gone to like an orphanage, or we've been in another country, been ministering to children, and some of those children, like in Romania, they just live on the streets, and you know, the, the hearts of people are just overwhelmed with it, and when you minister to kids in a third world country, and this, these kids have no parents, no mom and no dad to love them or to care for them, there's something about that that you just kind of want to, you want to love them, but you don't want to leave them. You, you want to take them with you, I've literally had people on mission trips just so distraught over the fact of what they were getting ready to leave that they just wanted to take the kid with them, right? And then they've knelt down next to the kid and they said, man, I want you to know God loves you and he cares about you and he he hasn't given up on you. And they wrap their arms around them and they squeeze them tightly and they say things that, you know, are just amazing. They just tell them, you know, man, if, if I could take you home, I would take you home. If I, could, if I could throw you in my suitcase and put you on the plane and bring you home, I would do it. I would just do anything to get you there, right? They're just overwhelmed with this compassion that causes them to want to go and rescue. That's who Jesus is. He's overwhelmed with compassion to go rescue people. That's what Schindler was. That's why he took the pin off and he goes, this is gold. This could be one more. This car, I didn't need this car. Could have rode on a horse or something. That could have been 10 more. It's the kind of compassion that overwhelms you, that moves you to a response. Today, let that kind of compassion well up inside of you. Let it well up inside of you by praying that the lost would come to know Jesus. Let it well up inside of you by purposefully building relationships with people that need to know Jesus. Meet them on their terms, not to change them or make them a project, but just to love them right where they're at. God will do his thing. God will work. God will make it happen. God will work through you. God will fill your mouth with the words you need at just the right moment. He's not going to give up on you. He's overwhelmed with compassion to rescue humanity. 
And he wants to use you in such a bad way. Just love people. Just love them where they're at, but love them enough not to leave them there. Just invite people to church. Bring them along with you. Make space for them. Take them out to lunch afterward. Do whatever you got to do, but bring people to hear the good news. Or you share it with them yourself. But let's team up together and let's let save people who say, Christ is my Lord and my leader. Let's help you find people. Because if that happens, I know one thing's going, going on. We're strengthening your journey with Christ. And that's awesome. The second thing that you see Jesus doing, though, is that he inspired others by sharing his compassion. I want you to inspire others by sharing Jesus. The first thing Jesus does when he's overwhelmed with this compassion is he turns to those who are following him and he goes, hey, guys, I got to tell you about something. I got to tell you about what's getting stirred in my heart right now. See, that's one of the reasons why we have life groups. We have life groups so you can go to this environment, you can sit down you know, with a group of people and you can start sharing with them what God's done in, in your life and what God's doing through your life. And I guarantee you, when you sit in an environment like that and you hear what God's doing in somebody and what God's doing through somebody, you can't help but be inspired. You can't help but be encouraged. Are you, you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Has that ever happened to you before? Have you ever heard a story from anyone that inspired you? Of course you did. You're just hoping I don't ask you what story it was because you can't remember it. But you remember the moment. Like a couple weeks ago, we had a whole group of people go off to this Royal Family Kids Camp and they served. They've got stories that are incredible of how God used them and what God did in their life. If you find somebody that's been to Royal Family Kids Camp or someone that's getting ready to go to track camp, and you talk to them, what you're going to find is this. You're going to find somebody that's very passionate at that moment because God's been using their life in incredible ways. I, we need you to be inspiring one another by sharing what God's doing in your life and through your life. Just literally be passionate about winning people to Jesus. You know, passionate people are contagious. You know anybody that's passionate about something? I mean, have you ever met somebody that was so passionate about a restaurant that you could care less about, but they were so passionate, they told you like, man, this restaurant's great. This is the most incredible restaurant ever. Listen, I've, been, I've, eat, I've eaten there every night for the past 14 days. It's amazing, right? I mean, they're just over the top. Like, you've got to go try this. You're like, oh, I know, but I don't, I don't like Thai food. No, seriously, you've got to try it. I'm going to bring you along. I'm even going to pay for it. When are we going to go? Tonight. Right? They're so passionate, they drug you along to other restaurants. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it's happened to me. But if they're paying, hey, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Go. <laughs> Let's go. I can find something I like. I mean, passionate people have caused some of us to spend money even we didn't want to. Like, seriously, you've got to have this sound system. This sound system, it rocks. It's going to blow your mind away. It's incredible. How much does it cost? $10,000, but you've got to have it. And you're like, okay, where do I sign? And you find yourself buying things you never thought you would buy. That's what passionate people do, right? Passionate people can even get you to work out when you could care less about working out. Like, you've got to come to the gym with me. It's amazing. You're not going to believe this. I've lost so much weight. And you go to the gym and you can't sit down for like the next four days, right? And you're like, thank you, passionate friend. And you're like, pulled a muscle. My back's out of whack. You know, I can't even take my coffee cup and take it to my mouth anymore. Um, I just hurt so bad. Thank you. 
Passionate people are contagious. Why not be passionate that way about sharing our faith? What would happen? What would happen to our church if that's how we truly lived? What would that passion do from one soul to another soul, from one person to another person? What would it really look like? It would be amazing. It would be incredible. The third thing that Jesus did was he said, pray to God because you know, he, he has the ability to send people into, into the fields and to bring in the harvest. He has the ability to send saved people that they would find people. And I just want to say this to you about that. I want you to be praying for our church. I need you to do that. Pray for our church that our church will be a contagious church where people that are seeking after God will feel comfortable and they'll be, they'll be comfortable to come as they are which I think that's the kind of church we are, but I need to make it even more that way, and I need your help to do it, that people could come just as they are, and we would embrace them that way, and we would coach them, and we would take them on the journey at the pace that, you know, that they can run and that they're willing to run, and we would just love them along the way. That we wouldn't treat people like projects. Pray for our church. Our church would be you know, contagious, have favor in our community. Pray for Christians that are in our church that are in other life-giving churches in our community. Pray for Christians that Christians would just stand up in a bold way, but not an abrasive way, and be people that share the good news of Jesus in our community. Just think about what kind of community North Platte would be if churches in North Platte, if Christians in North Platte rose up and boldly started sharing their faith you know, at all times, like everywhere they went, without being abrasive about it, just taking moments. What would North Platte look like? What, <coughs> what would Carney look like? What would your community look like? How's it going to start? It's going to start when you start. That's when it's going to start. Well, who's going to bring the change? It's going to change when you bring the change. So stop waiting around for someone else to bring the change and to start things and get out and start it because inside of you is the fire of God. Inside of you is the power of the Holy Spirit and he's wanting to get out. He wants to get out. But also pray for yourself. It's one thing to say, God, send laborers to the ends of the earth. It's a whole other thing to say, God, send me. I think that's where the prayer needs to start. If we're going to pray for people, and we're going to pray for churches all around the world, and we're going to pray for God to reach humanity with the good news, which is that's what he wants, it, the prayer needs to start with, God, send me. Let's never forget that. If we do these things, how will we win if we work together? And what will we win if we work together? There's a few things that you need to know. This, this is what we could win as a church. If we work together towards this one core value, save people, find people, we could win a church that is seeing revival. Now, when I say seeing revival, I mean people that are lost are coming to know Jesus. Because to me, that's what revival is. There's a lot of other definitions. A lot of other people have different things that they like to add on to that. But the essence of revival is the lost coming to know Jesus and the church influencing its community. That's the kind of church that we could become. That is, by the way, the kind of church we are becoming. And we're going to, by God's grace, continue to move that direction. That's why we're preaching this teaching series. Because if we're all moving in the same direction, we'll get there way quicker than just a pastoral staff moving in that direction and a core group of people. But the core values now have got out to the people. This is what we're doing together. We want to become a church that's on fire for Christ. 
We will become a church and continue to be a church that we see people come to know Jesus every single week. That's what we'll win. We'll win a church that's full of joy and celebration. It will be the kind of place you'll want to get here early for. It'll be the kind of place that, you, you know, you, you can't, you're going to be like, let's bring people, let's come early because we, we don't want to miss out on this thing. It'll be a place full of joy because it's hard not to be full of joy when there's new life happening. I've got three grandchildren and a fourth one's on the way. Did you know we're just as excited about the fourth one as we were the first one? Now ask me when number 10 comes, all right, if I'm still the same way. But we are that way. Why? Because new life, it brings joy and celebration. And that's fun. That's a good time. You know another thing we'll win together? A culture of true discipleship. A culture of true discipleship is not a church that has a, you know, just a program with classes that people go to. A culture of true discipleship is where one person is teaching another person what they know. That's what you have to do if saved people are going to find people. And it permeates the church. I, I want to lead a church like that. I want, to be a, I want to be a part of a church like that. Right? But here's another thing that we'll win. We'll win, check this out, we'll win a messy church. Isn't that fun? A messy church. What do I mean by that? We'll win a church of, you know, full of people that aren't just like you. We'll win a church full of people that are taking maybe where you typically sit on a Sunday morning, wherever that is that you sit. We'll win a church of people that don't understand the fact that you always have parked in that same parking spot for the last five years. That gets messy. We'll win a church that needs more money to do more ministry and more people will begin to tithe and we'll have to talk about it more. And we'll win a church that has more ministry going on and it's gonna require more people to be engaged in volunteering and that's what you'll be a part of. We'll win a church that has words that you've never heard spoken in our foyers. You'll have a church of, you know, where you walk in and you're probably picking up two or three, maybe cigarette butts on your way in, but it's okay because people's lives are being transformed and changed. Messy is okay. Pews get wore out. Carpet gets torn. Walls get marks on it. Sound systems wear out. You know, building wears down. Why? Because it's messy to win people. So if you want your church just to be a pristine little place that doesn't have any marks on the walls, has every seat that's perfect, every carpet that's perfect, then don't reach people. But you probably don't want to be a part of this church either. We're not looking to be messy just to be messy. We're looking to have a messy church because there's nothing you can do about it. You're reaching people. Lastly, though, we win a church that's alive and it's not dead. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that's alive. See, there's a lot that we could win together. There's a lot of great things that could happen if we all worked in the same direction. If you know Jesus, part of your lifestyle would be to find people. So today, in all of our locations, we have altars that are up in the front. These altars are going to be used today for people that are hungry to pray for friends that don't know Jesus. These altars are gonna be used for people that are surrendering their life to Jesus as well. Come, kneel down, give God your heart. These altars are gonna be used for people that wanna come and kneel down and pray for our church, that our church would be the kind of church that we just talked about this entire time. These altars are for people to come to pray for the church that maybe you, you come from because you're visiting today and you wanna pray for your church. 
These altars are going to be used today for people that are hungry to come and pray for other Christians, that Christians would be contagious in their community. And these altars are going to be used for people that want to come and pray and say, God, send me. God, use me. These altars are for the hungry. These altars are for people that are, that are saved or wanting to be saved and want to be a part of finding people. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray today. Father, I thank you that, Lord, your word's true yesterday, today, and forever. And that, Lord, you are at work transforming people's lives and changing them. You're at work, God, helping people to open up their eyes to see that you are the one true living God and that there's one mediator and his name is Jesus and that he and he alone and his name is so powerful that he has the ability to connect humanity to your heart, God. I thank you for that. Thank you that you've not given up on us. You didn't give up on us in our wickedness. You haven't given up on us as we fail you, even in our pursuit to find you. But you are truly God who loves humanity. Help us to wrap our heart around that. Help us understand it. May we team up with you as we spend these next few minutes in worship. May we team up with you at our altars, just praying, seeking you praying that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come on this earth and that the hearts of mankind will be won into your kingdom, that the eyes of people would be opened and they begin to profess that Jesus is the Lord of lords and that he is the King of kings. But Lord, it starts in our heart. And is our heart willing to line up with yours? And are we willing to let you break our heart with that compassion for the lost, like your heart? beats for them. So Father, I pray that one thing over this congregation as we wrap it up, that our hearts would be broken, broken for the lost, a compassion, and that Lord, those today that are seeking you, they would sense your brokenness for them. They would sense your compassion for them today. And may you overwhelm us with the generosity and with the grace that flows from your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.